There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? En el último episodio de Tremenda Vaina te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? Suscríbete en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. También nos puedes seguir en Twitter, Instagram o Facebook. Hey, Rachel, what you up to today? Oh, hey, Jamie. It's laundry day here, so I'm doing everybody's laundry, the kids, the husbands, the neighbors, and I'm doing it all with Clorox Regular Bleach with Chloromax. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so what are you doing after that? Oh, after this, I got to head up to the kitchen and wipe down the counters. The kids had macaroni and cheese for lunch, and some of it got in their mouths, but most of it's got to be wiped down with Clorox Regular Bleach with Chloromax. Okay, um, so what are you doing later? Later? Oh, it's going to be fun. I have my dad's car for the weekend, and one of the kids had an accident in it this morning, so I got to wipe down the back seat with Clorox Regular Bleach with Chloromax. Wow. Well, next, you're going to tell me that you disinfect your dog with Clorox. <laughs> Wait, he told you that? And actually, he loves it. Wait, you seriously do that? Yeah, Apollo loves it. Oh, here he comes. He's bringing me the bottle in his mouth. Come here, Apollo. I guess it is true. When it counts, trust Clorox. What's up, Eloeleros? We have a new segment brought to you by Half Brothers, an upcoming comedy from Focus Feature. This film is about two long-lost family members who finally meet. And today, I'm meeting with a family member I haven't talked to in a while, my Uncle Pepito. Que pasa, Franklin? Tio Pepito is without a doubt my favorite family member, and I can't wait to see this new movie, Half Brothers with you, Theo. Frank, I have something to tell you. Uh, what is it, Theo? I'm not really your uncle. What do you mean? I mean we're not related. But I've been calling you Uncle Pepito my whole life. Everybody in the neighborhood calls me Uncle Pepito. It's a nickname. My real name isn't even Pepito, it's Joshua. Well, you always called my father hermano. I called everybody el mano, or bro, to my non-Latino friends. But you were always at my family functions. That's because I had a huge crush on your mother. Man, back in the day, she was caliente. El mano, pss, your father didn't even deserve her. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I feel like I've been living a lie, kind of like the main character, Renato and half-brothers, when he discovers he has an American half-brother he never knew. Hey, just because we are not blood-related doesn't mean we are not family. Forget nephew. I considered you more like a son. That means a lot, Theo. I mean, Joshua. Forget that Joshua crap. I will always be Theo Pepito to you. Okay, Theo Pepito. That's better. By the way, how's your mom looking these days? All right, interview's over. Since we're not family members anymore, I don't feel bad kicking you out. And Eloeleros, check out the hilarious and heartfelt new movie, Half Brothers, in theaters December 4th. 
Get your tickets at halfbrotherstickets.com. The Latinos Out Loud podcast. All right. Hey guys, it is now time in the show where we interview someone freaking amazing. Okay, get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a good one. We support this man. He is a director and producer, and his name is Jesse Torero, people. Yeah. Woo. Come on, people. And up, people. Dominican Republic, what's up? Yeah. What's up? Orgullo. Orgullo. Shit, the flag's out. I don't know if you can see it I over my it. left shoulder. <laughs> Cinema Giants is in the motherfucking building. Stop yeah. cursing. Stop cursing. We're gonna, we'll bleep it out. We'll bleep that out. The, 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 the network cursing. told me. The network yeah, yeah, specifically yeah. said to stop the F we, word. You could we, use the other ones. Our, our, our demo, our demographic is a, is, is a little younger. Jesse, so, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you on the show, man. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Where are you, if you don't mind telling us and all of our listeners? Where right are you now I'm in New York. Oh, all right. New York. I just got in yesterday from Santo Domingo. I was in um, Las Terrenas, and then I went and picked up my daughters, and we flew in last night for Thanksgiving. That's what's up. Maybe you was on Frank's mom's flight, because she just came back <laughs> with two maletas of limoncillos <laughs> last night. Maybe. <laughs> Did the flight smell like avocado and hair <laughs> conditioner? Because that's what she brought back. Well, that's good. You're a very well-traveled man. I mean, you know, the reason why we wanted you on this show is because we know you have stories and experience and passion, especially in what you do. And um, it's gonna hard. It's gonna be hard to get all that in 30 minutes because I'm sure you have a lot to talk about. But my first question is, how did you get your start in film production and directing? What made you head in that direction? I mean, you know, for me, it, was, uh, it wasn't such so simple in terms of like drawn out, like, oh, I, I want to be a director. That was never really part of my mind growing up. But, we, you know, we grew up in a bad neighborhood. We grew up in the Bronx, um, two blocks away from Yankee Stadium. Mm. And my father, he was a super of the building. He ended up buying a house in Jamaica, Queens. And, you know, the neighborhood he bought the house in was, you know, it was extremely bad. It was like a very high drug zone you know a lot of violence you know prostitution things like that and um my father went to work at night my mother worked nine to five so when she was on the way home she would get home about six he would have to leave around four to get you know to get to work on time so they would cross each other right so for that gap of time sometimes there wasn't somebody in the house you know when we were like in our early teens so my mother said, you know, she wouldn't, she didn't want us out in the streets. So she gave us a camera and she was like, you know what, just, I don't care what you do, entertain yourselves. And at that time, you know, there was a channel called Video Music Box. Uh, of course. Yeah, Ralph McDaniel. So, Uncle yeah, Ralph. so we used to watch the box all the time. So at some point we started trying to mimic the videos. That's how it all started. We started mimicking the videos and then me and my brother were EPMD or somebody was LL Cool J, we would do our own renditions of the videos that were out. And then uh, my father worked maintenance at CBS and sometimes he would come home with things that they would throw away and it, sometimes it would be like albums, there'll be like soundtracks. 
So then all of a sudden we had like soundtracks and we started making like our own versions of movies, you know, and we had the music and the score, you know, so we started, you know, playing around like that. And at some point, you know, you start finding the love for things and, and, and you don't know that that's what you want to do, but you start kind of finding the love. And Ralph McDaniels had a, a casting, a call out for casting. And we were watching Video Music Box one day and they were like, oh, they wanted Latinos and African-Americans and stuff to come out. So we were like, you know, let's go out because we thought there were going to be a lot of girls there and we thought it could be cool. <laughs> Opportunities, let's go. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I was sitting there and they kind of took everybody and it was like a cattle call. They took like, a, you know, 100 people in at a time and they gave a speech, took everybody's information, was like, thank you. But at the moment, the woman was kind of saying, thank you, you know, something struck inside me to say, you know what, like, like I, I wanted more information. Like, I didn't want to just get thrown out in the cattle call. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, this part of the story, people shouldn't lie, but I lied. <laughs> and I told the, the production people that I, I think I lost my keys. So when I went back inside the room, there was nobody in there. We're waiting for the next group. So I approached the casting person and I had a conversation with them and I told them that I was really passionate about finding out more. And they weren't a lot of Latinos that showed up, right? So they, you know, they, they you know, they were looking for, for a lot, but they, a lot of people didn't come, right? So, so, um, and they were, they were like, um, most of the casting, uh, most of the crew came from like Spike Lee's world. So they, you know, mm -hmm. they were like sort of people that were, an assistant or a second on spikes, but now they were like in first positions, right? Mm. So, so the movie was Juice, right? And Juice was, was directed by a spike cinematographer, mm. right? So it was kind of like that camp. So they already had their hand in the, in the African-American market, but they didn't have it like a, a big influx of Latinos. So the woman was like, no, I, she, was, she told me, I like your look or whatever. I would love for you to come back. So she had me come back. And my brother Ulysses at the time, he didn't go. He was like, yo, you're going back. So he came with me. So then he had like a pimple on his nose. <laughs> so, so he put like a Band-Aid across it. Uh -huh. So when uh, we went into the casting, because we kind of looked similar, the director was like, I like these guys. And the one with the Band-Aid, he looks mean, you know? <laughs> so they made us part of the gang that had beef with Tupac in the movie. Right. Uh, oh my goodness. Wow. Well, you know, there was a guy, Rodimez, that had beef with Tupac. So we were part of the crew, right? So then mm -hmm. now we're working every day on this movie. Like, you know, we didn't know nothing about filmmaking. And we're getting, I think, $50 a day or $60 a day as non union extras. Well, you know, Pac wasn't a star yet, but he was somebody that had, he had like one song out with Digital Underground. And, you know, Tresh from Naughty by Nature was one of the extras in the gang with us. He didn't have any records wow. at the time. Wow. You know, um, Samuel Jackson was the guy that worked the store and juice. Like, you know, so it was all these people you were around, but everybody on set mostly was African-American or Latino, right? Mm -hmm. So now I see people that are like, look like me in the, in the film business, which I didn't know that that really existed. And then I started saying, wow, you know, asking <laughs> questions and asking around. And when I went back to um, college, that was my freshman year in college, I decided to shift my major and I started studying theater and taking film. From what I, to what? Wait, what was your major? Uh, business. I was just studying business. Uh -huh. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. As in mind your business, Rachel. As, 
Well, I want to know about the transition. I want to know about like from what no, to what. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, you know, my father was like, you're going to study this or that. Or, you want, you know, so I was sort of like, you know, taking classes and figuring out that I was going to study business. But I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And then I shifted my major, which didn't make most people happy. But I, you know, what about I, that? What? How was? How was it received? You know what? It was. Um, it's hard. It was hard. I think because my, you know, my father comes from a place where all he knows is hard work, right? So all he knows is hard work. He came from the Dominican Republic. He didn't speak the language. There was no like dreaming something money was going to fall out of the sky like you either work Google don't trabajo. exactly <laughs> he was he used to tell me all the time don't bago tu no hace nada like, not my father but i'm working with my mind you're not really seeing it <laughs> right. I, I, I'm out here not doing nothing i'm thinking you know because i got to come up with a concept or an idea when i started doing videos my but, brain is sweating you can't the, see it but it's sweating i'm on the toilet thinking all right exactly. <laughs> You know, it was it was it was a hard concept to grasp. You know, so when I couldn't really show him, like, oh, there's another director, or look at this guy that's Dominican, or look at these mm. guys. You know, I didn't have examples to show, right? Mm. So it wasn't like he he. All my father wanted was like, you know, he came and and, and father and mother, but they came. They 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 were busting their ass. They were working hard to to put us in school, to give us a better education, to give us a better life. For me, not to throw it away on the dream, right? It's like you know, it's the classic story. But, you know, when you believe in something and, and, and you see the potential behind it, you know, I kind of stuck with it. And, um, you know, little by little, you know, from bringing people coffee to sweeping the floor to having other opportunities to intern and work on set, and, you know, eventually things start to sh take shape, you know, but it's been a long journey. Hmm. I just really appreciate how much your family has influenced your career path here. You know, I'm just listening to those things desde chiquito, those things that like weren't really put in place on purpose, but that have really, you know, been a, played a crucial part in like your passion and your desire. And then I got to shout out your family real quick, because now it all makes sense. You guys are such a show business family, such a <laughs> like, you know, a family with entertainment and moving Latinos forward at the core. So shout out to Ulysses and shout out to Lexi. It's, um, it's wonderful to see that POV for someone to be so grounded in their family. Um, so then how did this, how, when, the, when did the pivot to like music happen? Mm. Or was there a pivot? Are you working in tandem doing the music videos and no, the other because, stuff? You know, um... There, there wasn't a music video business. Like that business didn't necessarily exist, right? So you, you're talking about a high scale, right? You're talking about Michael Jackson. You're talking about videos like that. That's what, and, and big rock videos, right? That's what you saw on MTV. Like that's what you were given. So when I was working in the film business, like Tupac wasn't a big star. When Juice came out a year and a half later, bam, Pac was on fire, you know? And then when we when we were when the movie was coming out, Tretch dropped OPP. Like things started coming out, and, and hip hop at that time started becoming bigger, right? And 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 being a hip hop music video director wasn't a thing, you know. So when that that became a thing, where Hype Williams, Paul Hunter, F. Gary Gray, like directors of color started coming into the game, that's what created that opportunity. So like, you know, and 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 there were very limited 
opportunities on the film side. So when you look at what Spike Lee was doing, when you look at there wasn't other people doing it. So yeah. it wasn't like there was a there was a slew of, of African American directors either. So it was a struggle. But when 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 music videos started to happen, you know, I was working production on films and then you know, Tretch was like, come by my video set. And sometimes we worked on his jobs or we worked on other jobs being production assistants or whatever, working my way up, second AD and doing different things. But it wasn't until hype and those guys started to come where you started to see guys that looked like you directing. And you're like, oh, wow, you know, this music video thing could be a path. And the Puff Daddies of the world and the Jay-Zs of the world started saying, hey, I want a director that looks like me, right? So it wasn't until hip hop guys became came into power where they started making that demand and reaching back out to the community saying, yo, how come the directors don't look like us? Cause that was not going to happen unless they made it happen. Mm-hmm. And then that cre- created a path that eventually I saw music videos as a, as a bridge to, to, to the film business. I knew that it was going to take me forever to go this way, but if I can attack music videos and maybe I can find a, a beeline into the game. Wow. And then when, when, when music videos at that time were really blowing up, uh, you know, I mean, they had, you know, was this around even the time of like TRL and where like you want to have that, people are actually watching videos on TV again. Yeah. It was kind of back. Are they, are, they, are they spending like, are the budgets kind of insane at a certain point? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the time I was working, I mean, budgets were $3 million, $2 million, a million <laughs> I'm not saying I was getting those budgets. I'm saying (laughs) what happens, we were working on those sets and my brother was, you know, we had interned on the film project. I interned working in production. He interned working in casting. So he went down the casting path. I went down the more of the production path. And um, when we started working on music video sets, I would sometimes work with my brother because he would be doing casting. Sometimes I work on production, but I found out that some of the directors didn't write their own concepts. Like they had writers that that came in and wrote the creatives. So I was working with a director and I overheard a conversation where like, you know, Puff Daddy didn't like a treatment and he wasn't happy with some sort of concept. So I, you know, tried to give a suggestion like, hey, you know, I think I know what he's talking about. And then she was like, what the fuck do you know? What, What do you know about, you know, whatever. And I was like, look, I, I think I understand what he's trying to say, you know? So she goes, you know so much, why don't you write it? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I actually really like the song. So I, I have ideas that come to mind. So I wrote the treatment and um, she got the video. So then at that moment, she was like, wow, okay, maybe Jesse, you know, he might have his hand on something. So they started testing me out. So for the next like year, I was writing concepts. You know, and that director was gigantic. So, you know, we're, we're doing, you know, everything from... Mariah to Wu-Tang to ODB to Method Man. I mean, we're just in, into everything, right? So I'm, I'm writing concepts. I was part of the writers on her team. So she had another writer in LA. I was writing. But I started, if she gave me like five songs and I wrote five ideas, then she might have booked four out of five of those jobs. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, you know, I'm Dominican, so my batting ratio was strong, right? So I was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> so, so, so then... I started becoming known as like an idea person. Like, oh, mm-hmm. Jesse got good ideas. He got good ideas. So, you know, I, I was making like 500 bucks. So I was getting like $500 writing these concepts. And these videos are like a million dollars. So the directors were probably walking away with 50 grand. 40. Mm, so, wow. so back then, it's not like it is today, right? Where back then, I felt like it was a longer path. So I felt like, you know what? 
I still got a lot to learn. I'm going to learn. I'm going to pay my dues. And I'll, you know, when it's my time, I'll be ready. You know, today, if somebody's like, off that first treatment, they would have been like Instagram, like, director just made a movie. <laughs> just killed it. So, so, so for me, I got a, another, some of the reps in town found out that I was writing. So then they were like, oh, there's this director coming out of Baltimore, and he's like, really hot but you know he could be doing six videos a month but he's only doing three because he can't write more in capacity he's got too much going on so we want to add you to, to to you know he doesn't like to use a writer but you know maybe you guys could vibe so he never used to let me write alone so we used to write together so i would travel with him we would sit in the hotel room and knock out a bunch of ideas then i would sit back and write while he shot the videos or whatever and his career started to grow you know and then eventually he was the one that signed me, right? Because we also became creative friends and we built a really strong relationship. And, you know, so I got to learn. And when it was finally my time, you know, I was able to step in and, and you know, do things the right way. Jesse, you being Latino, Dominican, how did you mesh yourself in an African, predominantly an African-American uh, uh, industry and how you made people believe in you? You know, I, I think that uh, growing up in New York, we live so close in terms of our cultures that I never really felt the separation of Latinos and blacks, even though there would be wars in my neighborhood and the Spanish kids and the black kids are going to war. But I never really felt that until I traveled outside of New York. So when I traveled outside of New York and went to the cities and especially LA, then I saw a big gap, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, the other cultures in the Latino culture, you know, are, are more separate. You know, I can understand why the Mexicans are more separated than the African-American culture. Like as the Caribbean um, Latino is, excuse, more black. Yeah. Right. So so the cultures are just closer. And in New York, it doesn't matter. White, black, Asian, everybody got a similar swag. Like New York just gives you like a street swag. So even the white boy, you know, you, you buy into him mm -hmm. on some hip hop shit because we're all in the same street in a way, yep. you know, like we all ride in that same subway car. So some of that rubs off on everybody. It don't matter what, wh where you're from, yeah. but that doesn't happen everywhere else, you know? So I think New York wise, hip hop wise, you know, I grew up in the streets of New York. So like, I don't think anybody ever doubted that I was hip hop, you know? Right. You I, know, I, re I remember doing soul plane once that, uh, we had got some bad press where there were like some people upset about soul playing and me shooting stereotypes of African-Americans or whatever. So they were preparing us all for like press, you know, so they were putting, you know, they had to take me through this like anger management press thing. So I wouldn't say, no, stop it. What? Stop it. Like, Can you share some tips because we're still angry. Yeah, yeah. Like, Jesse, how do you feel about setting the culture back? And then I was like, ah, and they're like, no, you got to breathe. You can't answer, you shouldn't, you know. So they'll coach me because some press might come at me hard. Wow. So somewhere in doing my like anger Latino or anger urban psychologist, um, you know, that they said something and I was like, Yeah, you know, being Dominican and I'm like, he's not African American. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. African American. So they made this whole big deal. And then the, the studio's calling me like, Oh, we didn't know you were an African American. Like, we're so concerned about you doing the press. Wow. A Latino. We thought you were African American. I was like, yo, you guys should chill. Like, I, yo, I don't think that's not going to come up. I'm like, yo, when they see me, 
I think they're gonna buy what mm-hmm. I did and who I am. I don't think anybody's questioning if I should have done this movie or not. But you know, it, it's so funny how people perceive it, but. I can't even imagine what those phone calls must have been like, like at the studio. He said he's some kind of Dominican Republican. I don't even know what that country <laughs> is. What is that? That is. He's from DR? What is he, a doctor? I don't oh, know what's going know what on. It means. My favorite line from like one of the head guys at the studio was that anytime I second guessed him, because he would say, you know, some of the shit would be like, you know, this walks a fine line, Hollywood boy. I would tell you that much. <laughs> but um, he would say some stuff, and sometimes I wouldn't agree because some of some of the suggestions would like rub me the wrong way, you know. So, mm. and, and whenever I said anything, or I was like, "Yo, that doesn't work," or I didn't like it, he would hit me with this one. He would say, "You know, I worked on Boys in the Hood." You know, huh. I worked on Boys in the Hood. <laughs> and that was his card. What the? That was his. Boys in the Hood have to do in my movie. <laughs> like, are you the king of black movies? Yeah. Like, come on, wow. Like, but I get it, you know. I mean, you know, I did craft service, right? On Her Boys in the Hood, right? <laughs> exactly. I kept everybody fed. Yes. Uh, somebody told I... me that the other day, too. You know, I went to school with Hype Williams. I'm like, hey, dude, dude, how many people yeah. went to school with Hype Williams? Like, you might not even be his boy. Like, I don't even know if he knows you. Like, I was the cleaning lady. Like, I was the cleaning lady on Malcolm X, the film. So I cleaned up after craft hey, services. I got my sad card on Malcolm X. Now that is true. Uh, <laughs> I think the majority uh, of of Latino and Black actors in New York got their sad cards on Malcolm X. Shout out to Winsome Sinclair for mm. taking care of all of us. Hey. Wow. <laughs> so Iaora, now you're doing all this work for YouTube Originals. So, like, explain to us how that connection happened and the projects that have been released. Maluma, come on, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, you know, um, we, you know, the first, you know, I, I've been always trying to figure out a way to, to make content. And I'm just like, okay, I pivoted at one point, right? Because, you know, I was working in hip-hop videos and I was seeing, like, what was happening in Latin music and wasn't so happy with the visual content and decided to really ingratiate myself in that world and try to make a change, right? And I started just working on Latin videos. And once, once I started doing that, I felt like at home in the sense of like, this is what I needed to be doing. Like, this is, this is more my calling. Like, if you see what Scorsese did or this person or Spike did, you know, like, you know, it's right for me to be right here where I'm supposed to be, you know, like, and, 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 and bring sort of my sensibility, because I live in all the worlds, the English world, the Spanish world, the hip hop world, bachata, salsa, and just blend that. Mm-hmm. And how do I bring that forward? So I, I was working and finding success in the Hispanic market or the Latin market or the Latinx. I don't even know what to call it anymore. Whatever it was, you know, it's who I am. So I'm fucking, I got like, so many titles now. We get it, we get it. But um, <laughs> when I was working, you know, um, in that world, and the music was getting so big, having come from Juice and working on movies like that and seeing Boys in the Hood and Menace Society and all these movies pop up that had like the feeling of hip hop, I was like, wow, reggaeton is so big, but there's nothing that goes against it. Like you can't look in the mirror and see 8 Mile, Get Rich or Die Trying, Juice, like nothing, right? So I was like, there's a gap here. But as I was trying to sell these projects, I was always, you know, hitting like a a, a wall because... They were like, oh, you know, this is too Puerto Rican or this is too Dominican. And if you don't open up the cast, it's like, you know, and I was like, yeah, but I'm just trying to be authentic. 
to what's going on, right? So I'm being trying to be authentic to the culture. I'm trying to be authentic to the stories that I'm telling at the time, right? Because these specific stories needed uh, that voice. And, you know, I struggled and I tried to set things up. And for years, things fell apart until finally I did Nikki Jam and Ganador, right? So when, when you know, I was sitting with Nikki and we were having a conversation, shooting a music video, and he was telling me his story. I was so compelled by it that I told him, I said, look, you know, if, if, you, if you give me an opportunity to, to develop this, I think that I can do something with it. So we went into an agreement and then I started putting something together and he had a song that was like uh, called uh, El Ganador that, that sort of mimicked his life. So we shot something with that song, a music video that mimicked almost a trailer of what the show could be. Mm -hmm. And then I took that out to Napty and, you know, we pitched it and, you know, Netflix bought it in the room, right? So Netflix wow. was excited and then, you know, Telemundo came on board and, and, you know, we kept pushing forward. During that time, I had already been working on Maluma, right? So Maluma was something that we started with our own money. It was an idea that I talked to Maluma, Maluma about early on wanting to do a documentary, about um an artist but in real time like maluma was young and he was growing at the moment right so i was like we just this is when you want to document it now like when it's happening you know because he's part of a new generation that's coming out of social media and all these new streaming outlets right so mm -hmm. so we we were doing that in pieces right so um margie moreno set up a general meeting with me at youtube so i went into youtube and one of the conversations was the maluma project they were like, what are you doing with the Maluma project? We would love to come in on it. And we're like, yeah, we're shooting it. We're still trying to like, you know, we're moving it along, doing it our way, you know, but we'll let you know when we get closer and we want to have those conversations. So they started talking to me about Nikki Jam. So people knew that I was developing the thing with Nikki Jam. So um, they were like, what do you want to do next? So then I told YouTube, I said, look, as I'm developing Nikki Jam, as I'm doing more research in the world of reggaeton, and I've been around it so long, one has to ask a question, where are the females, right? If, if, mm -hmm. if the genre is dominant by 70% a female audience, how come there's not another female star? Why, why did it go from Nikki Queen and just nobody came after her? That's it, the road right? stopped. So, oh, so there wasn't a support going the other way. I, you know, that always bugged me a little bit, you know, especially being a father now of girls, you want, you know, so that, you know, so I'm thinking about that. So I was like, this is before Becky, Nati, you know, Carol, they all started taking off. So this is like, they were still not getting that fair shot, right? So this was three, almost four years ago, three and a half years ago. So I asked um, that I would love to develop something in this world scripted because maybe through content, we can break a new talent or things like that. So they gave me a deal to develop a show around uh, females in the world of reggaeton. And that's how Bravas happened. Wow. But we were so knee deep in Nikki Jam that I couldn't focus my energy on something else. So, um, and you know, Nikki Jam was a tough fighter. I had to make sure like all the writers were Boricua and I brought them from Puerto Rico to, to, to work on Nikki, make sure the whole writing staff was, you know, knew the culture was authentic. And there was a female writer in the staff. So then I took her and made her head writer on Brava. So once we wrapped Nikki, we shifted our energy. You know, and then I and then I took the writers from Nikki Jam and I and they all directed episodes of Brava. So instead of like me sort of trying to do it all again, 
I, I, you know, I wanted to sort of help open the doors for other directors and give them that opportunity. Because I used to always hear when I tried to do television, you don't have TV experience. I'm like, okay, but the white boy wasn't born with TV experience either. Somebody right. gives the experience. That's how this works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, they always got some excuse. So I felt like, you know what? Whenever I get the opportunity that I can do something and, and, and give back, then I'm gonna make sure that I help open those doors so that people are not running up into the same roadblocks that I did. Oh. That's incredible. Yo, before we wrap this up, Jamie, did you want to talk about Robert De Niro real quick? I don't want to like forget about <laughs> I did. I wanted to know. Well, obviously, you did you directed a film in 2012 called Freelancers, 50 Cent, Robert De Niro. And I, you know, I'm curious. Um, directing an actor like Robert De Niro, how is he on set? Is he the type who's like, you know, hey, I'm gonna shoot it over here, so put the camera over here? Or don't fucking he's... direct me, don't fucking direct me, all right? <laughs> you want to direct me? Come over here, and I'll go, yeah. I'm not going over there. But or direct is he, no, how about you do that? How about you was, do that? Was it not, was he, you know, um, a team player? No, what I would say is that he was definitely one of the nicest people that I've met in the business at that level, you know, yeah. and um. When, when we were originally prepping the movie, it was going to be another big actor. Not as big as him, but another big actor. There was some complications. De Niro was somebody we went out to who then, but was not available. So we were forced to go with somebody else. It, um, things got complicated. The movie stalled a little bit and they pushed production. When they pushed production, they were like, the De Niro windows open again. Because mm -hmm. now we pushed. So they're like, you know, De Niro does have a gap of time where he is available. But De Niro read the script, said he liked the script, but, you know, he doesn't sign on to any movie unless he meets the director one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. And if he likes the director, then he'll do it. So they were like, you got to fly to New York because we were in New Orleans and close De Niro. So that's already pressure. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, you got to go to New York and close De Niro. But they're like, don't worry, he'll like you. De Niro's a guy's guy. He'll like you, whatever, whatever. So I get there and it's like, um, I wasn't sure. Like I got, to, I got to New York at like 10 in the morning. They were like, my meeting was going to be between two and like 7 p.m., right? Wow, what a uh, window. The, exactly. <laughs> it's worse than all you All that does is create like added stress. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> dying. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. So I'm like going shopping because I'm like, you know what? I don't know what to wear. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I try to come in a suit, he's going to be like, this dude don't wear a suit every day. <laughs> so, so I was like, you know, but do I wear a blazer, maybe a t-shirt, some cool sneakers so he knows I got some swag? He's from New York, so he's got to, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like trying to figure it out, not to be too corporate, but not to be too fucking, you know. Like, cheese, so, uh, you want to be cool and shit. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, you know, you finally get that call. Like, uh, um, Bob's on his way to the office. So, you know, he's like, well, so I'm like, shit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I go to his office and, you know, I called somebody that knew him, you know, so they told me, hey, you know, he's super nice, you know, he's giving, just don't go in there cocky, because that's a problem, some people overbuild themselves, you know, because they're facing him, so they want to try to sell him that they're the best thing that ever lived, mm. and like, you know, he's worked with the best directors, the best actors, the best writers, like, oh. just don't go in there with that bullshit, like, you know, <laughs> and be who you are you know and and he'll accept you for whatever place in the world you're in you know he's not going to judge you so that was great because i kind of went in there with that kind of like you know what i'm just going to be me you know and um it was an off day so as i'm walking to his office there were like two security guards 
and I guess he wasn't, you know, nobody knew there was a meeting for him, you know? So like, they looked at me and I guess my outfit didn't sell them. So they were like, yo, what are you doing here? And I said, yeah, I got a meeting with Mr. De Niro. And they both looked at each other. They were like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I get it. I get it. But you should call upstairs because his assistant's there. And I know he's on his way in. So, you know, because he wasn't there yet. So they, they were like, they called upstairs. And he was like, all right, you could go up or whatever. It was tough, man, because like I was talking to him in, in my meeting, in the one-on-one -on -one meeting, and then like at some point I lost focus because I'm like, "Is Robert De Niro?" But like, you wow. know? And and I told him, I said, "You know what, man? I gotta be honest with you. I'm extremely nervous." I was like, "I'm extremely nervous. Like never in my life." And I thought I was gonna do great. I have like dreams of being great, but I didn't <laughs> think I was gonna be sitting opposite you. Yeah. I just didn't. You know, like I, you know, I didn't think so. I didn't think this meeting was gonna happen. So I'm not gonna lie. I'm, crazy nervous you know and he was like oh, don't be nervous then he started breaking the ice that's why i know he's a good guy because he knew i was nervous he goes what are you dominican and i was like yeah he, goes, ah. the man. he started talking to me about other stuff and then we just got into the movie and once we started talking about the movie we were fine and he was like um what work of yours should i watch and he goes yo man i like your vibe i like the changes that you're thinking and he goes you know i'm not gonna string you along i'll let you know in a couple of days i'll I'll go through the script tonight, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of days later, he signed on and came down, you know? Wow. And, and, and he was so nice to me, man. And, 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 and i never forget that, you know, because he, he, you know, he's a director too. That's what people don't understand. Mm, yeah. So, so he's directed films as well, you know? So it's like the fact that he's a director, his approach is very different. He's a very studied um, actor too. But, um, you know, it was a lot of conversations, you know? Like I would be in prepping in New Orleans and get a phone call and he'd be like, I don't have like the whole crew waiting and he'd be like, hey, Jesse, it's Bob, you got a second? And my AD be like, well, and I'm like, yes, I do, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember he left me a message and I saved it. I kept like saving, you know, when you could just see, save the message. I just kept saving it as long as I could, you know? I that shit for Christmas every year in front of the whole yeah, family. Honestly, it was incredible, man. And, and it was tough because I would get nervous trying to give him direction. Right. You know, because I would want to say stuff, then I would get up my seat and sit back down like, nah. I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then he saw me once. He was like, come over here. And he was like, what's up? What do you want to say? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, if I was you, I would maybe try this. And he was wow. like, I like that. I'll try that. I'll give that a shot. <laughs> you know? He's a legend. That's all I can say, man. But he he showed me the utmost love, made me feel comfortable, and I'll never forget that experience, man. I'll take that to the grave. Mm. So he really is a good wow. fella, huh? That's great. Uh, so when it comes did to I the see film, what he did there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wrapped like it up. You wrapped it up in a nice bow. Segway <laughs> queen, don't <laughs> with me. Okay, I have one final question as we wrap this interview. And my, what a great story. Oh my goodness. You know, there's a lot of aspiring directors and producers, some of whom don't even know what their destiny is yet with their college degree or their education or their passion. So I just want to know now being where you are in your career, what advice can you give to that cluster of people whom I hope are listening to our podcast right now? I would say, look, if they, whatever career they pick, they have, to, they have to be passionate about what they're doing because there is no easy way to anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you want to be an athlete, if you want to be a singer, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a director, you want to be an, you know, whatever you want to be, there is no easy path, right? So the only thing that gets you through the storm is passion. Mm -hmm. 
So you have to be really passionate about what you're doing because if you're not, it's going to fall apart, you know, because there's so many days that you feel like quitting. There's so many days that you feel like stopping that you don't feel like moving forward. So you really got to love what you do. And today in, in this society, everything is such instant gratification, you know, and people are wanting to get to a, a, a destination so fast that they're not laying enough bricks to build their house. And when the storm comes, everything's falling apart. Mm. Wow. So, so, you know, I feel like there's so many directors that are directors or writers or actors on Instagram and they're cool and they're doing shit, but when they got to go toe to toe with the real ones, they ain't ready for that battle. You know, mm. it's like, it's levels to this thing, you know, and you're not going to walk. You can do some videos out of your homeboys videos and get away with some stuff. But when you jump in there in the arena with the big dogs, with big talent, you know, mm -hmm. big talent's experienced. You know, mm -hmm. they're gonna expect a lot. And, and if you don't, if you didn't go through that school, if you don't have that work ethic or all those skills to, to lean back on, you know, it's gonna be tough. So I would just say, man, it's just, it's, nothing's an easy road. So just, you know, do something you're passionate about and work really hard and you'll get there. Dope. You guys, one time for Jesse Terrero. Come yeah. on. Yeah. That was Woo much fun thank you for being a guest on our show and how can people follow you on social media could you drop your handles real quick yeah just um at jesse terrero j-e-s-s-y-t-e-r-r-e-r-o it's my instagram it's what i really deal with the most so that's where you can find me at cinemagiants.com that's where we post all our stuff so thank you very much i'm excited i appreciate you having me there have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota. Toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more.